Hey, and welcome back to 52 Founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and this week I'm joined by Alex Wang, co-founder and CEO of Scale API. Scale combines APIs with human intelligence to solve tasks like image annotation, audio transcription, and categorization. Though artificial intelligence is on the rise, there still is a gap to what machines can do without human involvement. Scale helps fill this need with its, well, scalers the human behind the scenes helping companies grow. It was great to hear from Alex about the future of scale, and I'm so excited for you all to take a listen. All right, well, Alex, thanks so much for being on my show. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So start by telling us about Scale API and what it does. Yeah, so Scale is an API for human intelligence. We combine AI and human intelligence to solve simple human tasks like image recognition, OCR, uh, audio transcription, simple categorization, etc. Uh, and we do this with by combining our own models with uh, our own network of contractors called Scalers who help complete the task. So, so let's talk a little bit more about this since, you know, I feel like AI is something that people, it's a really hot topic right now, and it's one that's thrown around a yep. lot. So what was the opportunity that you saw? Yeah, so the main, thing that, the main thing that we saw was that there was this gap in all these really important problems between where sort of state-of-the-art machine learning or state-of-the-art machines were at and where humans could perform at. And in all these uh, use cases, we saw the need for humans to really be an important aspect to guarantee a level of quality necessary for a wide variety of applications. Uh, some good examples are audio transcription and image recognition. So in audio transcription, it's still a huge industry of people manually transcribing audio because though state-of-the-art AI is getting really good, it's still not quite good enough to solve a ton of use cases. Same with image recognition. Um, if you look at, for example, all the self-driving car companies, they're all trying to build state-of-the-art algorithms that will let them build really safe uh, and high-performing autonomous vehicles. But to get there, there needs to be this huge human element uh, before you can get there. So we noticed this when we were building some of our own applications before, where we saw there were all these different like small tasks that we wish we could sort of program away. But we realized that like in actuality, you needed a human to really do them. So we wished when we were building those apps that we had an API similar to scale. Great. And so who are the scalers and kind of, you know, how do you maintain quality about that? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so the scalers are this network of people who uh, we, they're all around the world so we can maintain 24-hour coverage of our API. Uh, and they sort of sign up online for to be able to earn from home. Um, and so it's a it's a really interesting job. It's sort of like an Uber style job where instead of, uh, where you don't need a car necessarily, but you just need to be able to sort of work on your computer and have internet access. Uh, and then in terms of maintaining the quality of their responses, that's, uh, that's one of the core problems that we solve is that quality control aspect. And a lot of what we do is make sure to incentivize um, high quality work by providing bonuses if you perform with really high quality, uh, and also adding in basically spot checks and reviews to make sure that we're constantly measuring how well we're doing. 
Interesting. So you have a team in-house that basically does that as well. It's so kind we of like had that extra is, layer of quality. Yeah. So we actually, uh, basically some of our scalers who we know are really trustworthy and have been really high quality over a long period of time, uh, their primary job becomes to actually review the work of other scalers. Okay. And so now we're going to kind of switch gears and, and talk more about you. So where did you grow up? Let's start there. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is the oh, cool. town where the atomic bombs were actually first, uh, first invented. Wow. I love that you had that fact ready to go. <laughs> it's the only fact about that town. It is. Okay. So it's, it's one that you say a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so what did your parents do for a living? Yeah, so both of my parents, right now there's a national lab there, basically where the the facility where they invented the atomic bomb used to be. Um, and both of my parents are physicists and work at the national lab. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. And so was science a big part of your life growing up? Yeah, it's a big part of everyone's life growing up in, in Los Alamos because uh, the that national lab is actually the primary employer. So everybody sort of grows up with, or not everybody, but most people's parents are working in some sort of scientific capacity at that lab. And so Mm -hmm. everybody sort of grows up with like really like science drilled into their, into their minds. Interesting. So was that kind of the career path that you saw yourself going on when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I definitely expected myself to sort of either go down some sort of research path or academia or something like that. Um, Because Mm -hmm. for, for a lot of sciences, um, other than sort of computer science or uh, the main path is, or not really the main path, but one of the like most exciting paths is really to be able to do research in, um, in like national laboratories or universities and sort of work on the cutting edge there. Basically you're a kid growing up in New Mexico, interested in science. uh, And I know that you're currently on leave from MIT, right? Yep. Yeah. So, what did you think going into college that you were going to do? Yeah, so this is actually an um, interesting story. So right after high school, I actually was able to get a job out here uh, in the Valley. So I worked at two companies, um, Adapar and Quora, before I'd gone to college. And so by the time I was going into college, I actually sort of expected that I, I maybe wasn't going to like stay the whole four years. I sort of knew that like the startup ecosystem and the tech ecosystem was just like very live and vibrant. And I sort of expected that going in, uh, I would go to school for a couple of years, but if there was anything that was really exciting in, in the tech ecosystem, that um, it wouldn't be that big of a jump to just go and do it. So you never were scared of entrepreneurship. I think for you, what, it's because you're so young, you think now is the time to go for it? That is, yeah, yeah, that's a big piece of it. One thing I've always thought sort of when I, uh, when I sort of switch things I'm doing or doing figuring out what I want to do is thinking about like where can I where am I going to be learning the most where am I going to be sort of like faced with the most challenges that um, I wouldn't be familiar with and sort of mm-hmm. putting myself out of that comfort zone and that was especially early on a lot of the justification for like starting a company going through Y Combinator I just really felt that like there was there was such a huge learning opportunity there. So is that when you dropped out of school when you got into Y Combinator? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and tell so, us about your co-founder then, too. Yeah, so my co-founder's name uh, is Lucy, Lucy Guo. So we had met while working at Quora, 
So she was a product designer there, and at the time I was a tech lead on performance. And we were both uh, on the younger side at the team there. Um, neither of us had college degrees, for example, uh, and we sort of got along while working at Quora. Then after Quora, she left to uh, be a product designer at Snapchat, and I had gone to school. Uh, and throughout that whole time, uh, we basically kept in touch and sort of would riff off of each other with various like product ideas. Uh, and eventually, we there was like one idea where we sort of overlapped on, and we decided to just start building things together. Interesting. And so, I guess is Y Combinator then the validation you needed to drop out of school, or were you going to do it either way? Yeah, yeah. So we we had basically decided that no matter what, we were going to to go for it um, and work on it. So this was like last summer, summer of 2016. No matter what, like after May, we were just going to go for it during the summer. Uh, and Y Combinator was sort of, it was great that we got into Y Combinator. But other than that, I think we were like, we just felt sort of, uh, we felt really confident in our ability to like, build a product that I think people would be excited about. So we maybe, maybe slightly too headstrong, but even if we didn't get into YC, we were, we were ready to go for it. Did you have any reservations though? I mean, you're giving up getting a degree and I know that some people might view that as security. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely on both sides. Um, I would say my co-founder probably had, uh, had more of a barrier to, to sort of going forth than I did because she was, she was at Snapchat, which, um, like now you can see it's, it's obviously done really well for itself. Uh, but for me personally, I, I knew that I could just, you could just take time off of MIT. And if we went for it and uh, for like a year, and then if nothing panned out, I could still just always go back to school and all my friends would still be there. So mm-hmm. I wasn't too worried personally. So, you know, you went to school for computer science, but did you ever think about being a physicist given your background? Yeah. So I sort of, this is uh, my parents really want me to be a physicist, but I think pretty early no, on. Even, even now, <laughs> yeah, even now. Well, I think now they sort of realize it's not going to happen. But um, yeah, even, I think like probably early on in like high school, I, I realized that like that wasn't really the path for me, and I was more excited about all the developments that were happening in sort of like a tech sphere. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious now. So you guys raised funding, and you graduated from Y Combinator because you have a, well, you've worked at a few companies and do you draw on that experience then when building your own companies or did you guys have a vision of what you wanted scale to be like and the culture to create irregardless of those experiences? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I would say at least for me personally, and I'm, Lucy has expressed really similar things is the prior experience at some of these like really great companies like Quora and Snap um, were first of all, really great for just like giving us the skills that we needed and, and, like giving us the ability to think on sort of like tech time scales or figure out how, what are like the best practices around building products and getting them out quickly. Uh, and also just thinking about like how the, how to build like a really enduring company. Uh, so all of that experience was really helpful for us to just like have all this context and um, really understand, like have a good understanding of, of what building a startup means. Obviously we learned I would say that's maybe like 10% of what we what we now know. And then like we learned a ton along the way. And then in terms of building out like the culture of scale and building out the team, that was really heavily shaped by sort of what we saw at our past companies, both the good and the bad. So, I mean, every company has 
good and bad things about the culture. And yeah, of course. we were we were really focused on maintaining the best parts of of Quora's and SAP's culture, which is really a big part of it, like the team and bringing in people who you're excited to work with both in a professional capacity, but also just really excited to hang out with and spend time with uh, outside of work since in a startup environment, you're going to be spending a lot of time together. But we also mm-hmm. wanted to bring in elements that we just thought were really important. And we sort of, we just like had really strong convictions about like being really direct and having a culture mm-hmm. where it's okay to be direct about feedback. And it's nothing personal, but it's just, it's about helping everybody improve and giving everybody the feedback they deserve. I love that. I think that's really interesting. But do you prize then for some of your hires having deep experience or are you okay taking a risk on people who might have, you know, as much experience working as you guys do? Yeah, for sure. Um, we, so it's definitely a mixture of both. We sort of want a diverse, we want a diverse team in a lot of ways, but one of the ways is sort of work experience. Like mm-hmm. you, on both sides, you don't want uh, an extremely inexperienced team, but you also don't want a team full of people who have worked like 10 years at Google because then there's not going to be that fire that you sort of need mm-hmm. in a startup. So yeah. we definitely are cognizant that we want like a, a good mixture of people who are both experienced, more junior. And then that's, this is another really big piece of it. We're really, we feel comfortable betting on people who have uh, not too much work experience because of our own backgrounds. As long as people are smart and they're really willing to learn and work hard, there's, uh, there's a huge opportunity to grow and learn, especially in, this, in tech. Yeah, I agree. So what do you think the most surprising thing you've learned so far is? Yeah, I think we were sort of like thinking about doing a startup and going and, and building a startup. I think the way that we would sort of come up with ideas or validate how good an idea was, was just like just trying to think about it really hard uh, and try to like figure out like, oh, does this industry like make sense? Does, like is this industry going to be disrupted? And is this like something that um, how will consumers think about this? And all these like really sort of high level esoteric questions that I think um, get asked later on in the stages of a company a lot because uh, a lot of the early stuff has been figured out. But and this is something that Y Combinator really drills into your head in the very early stages of a company and building a product. You really just want to build something where people are asking for it now, and beyond that, it doesn't really matter. Like not much else matters as long as you're building something that like people really want and people are really excited to use and willing to sort of like try out, even though you're just like, you're a startup that's like a couple months old or a couple weeks old, people are still willing to try whatever you're building. Mm-hmm. That was like something that was really unintuitive for me early on was that like in the very early days, it's just like, you just need to build something that people are really asking where it's a hair on fire problem. And, and then you just have to go after it. Um, and it's a lot less about being like really cerebral and thoughtful about like, oh, but does this industry make sense? Or like, um, what is like the growth loop here? Uh, that stuff matters way less. Do you think then the bigger the pain point you're solving, like the bigger the opportunity that exists? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we actually, so we pivoted to scale a couple weeks into the Y Combinator batch. At that point, and this is different from when we were validating ideas before then, but at that point when we wanted to validate ideas, we literally just contacted some of people who we think would be prospective customers or would be interested in it. And we just really measured their responses and were really brutal about it. So some people would say like, yeah, this is something I would try. And then you would just try to get them to pay for it like at that time or figure out like what it would take for them to like 
just try a product immediately. I love that approach because I think entrepreneurs sometimes are so nervous to introduce their product to customers or they might have fear about, you know, like, oh, what if my idea gets stolen? And to me, it's always like the best, the best feedback you can get is through that, you know, introduction to customers. So I like that you're doing yeah. that from an early part. Yeah. One thing that um, I think both me and my co-founder really, uh, really ended up doing was like being super shameless with, first of all, all the people that you know, all the people within your network and just being like shameless about asking for help or asking to like, like have a conversation with you about some product that you want to build um, and just like, and then be really shameless on social media about like everything that you're doing since it's, it's so hard in the early days to sort of like get something started up and get something going that you really sort of need to just like pour your heart out. And, and even if you're annoying all your friends, they'll understand like you're, you're going after your dream. So. No, I love that. And so who do you think then scales ideal customer is really right now scales ideal customers are technology companies where they have some small human operational like manual tasks that they need get to get done to build into their product or to fulfill some customer need. Uh, but they haven't yet built out like the operational capability to do it. Um, and that's the case we fit, we've solved perfectly because what we'll allow them to do is just integrate with a really simple API, which is how most tech companies, most engineering teams uh, are used to consuming products at this point with, with companies like Stripe and Twilio, SendGrid, et cetera. But then we'll handle basically everything else. We'll handle finding the people who have the skill sets where they'd be good at the task, quality controlling the results, building all the tools they need, task managing all the tasks and making sure they all get done on time. Uh, we handle all of that for our customers to really make it really easy to just build in a small human workflow into your app. So I'm looking at so many of your examples on your website. Um, what do you think one of the better examples is to really elucidate your idea? There's a couple of really cool ones, but uh, I think one of them is is audio transcription, right? So uh, there's if you want to build an app that requires a really high level transcript, uh, it's it's hard because the APIs that are out there, most of them are just machine learning APIs where you're just going to get like an, a machine learning, an AI generated transcript, which is good, but not amazing. So if you want to show these transcripts to users and make them really useful to users, uh, you'll need a human to go in and, and verify that level of quality. So if, for example, we have meeting notes companies or call notes companies that are customers of ours, if you want to allow people to record a meeting and then have like a really good transcript of that meeting, then we provide like sort of like the perfect API for that. That's really, that's a really great example. Cause I'm looking at the image in its uh, annotation, the OCR transcription, and it seems that there's so many possibilities that you can do with scale. Yeah. That's, I think that's one of the things that is really exciting for us is that it's, it's really the early days because right now we're, even now we're tackling like quite a few use cases, but over time we really hope to, so you can keep going after like more complex and more more interesting tasks to like solve more and more operational needs within companies. Great. Well, I'm excited to continue watching you guys then. Yeah, uh, we're excited to keep launching new products <laughs> and keep improving our existing products. So let's switch gears to what I'm going to call my fun question series. What is another startup that you're a big advocate of? Usually I ask in the city you are in, but since you're in the Bay, feel free to pick kind of anywhere because... <laughs> I feel like oh, there are so many companies in the Bay to choose from. I'll mention uh, a lot of my friends are I'm super bullish on, but I'll mention 
a startup that I have no idea anyone who works there even runs it. It's this company called Improbable. And I yeah. think they're actually based in London. In London. Yeah, but, I love them. Yeah, they they run like simulations and they're trying mm-hmm. to make build a business out of that. And I think that is absolutely like off the chain crazy. I think it's such a cool idea for a company. And I think they're doing really well. So I'm so excited to see uh, like all the stuff they can do in the future with that company. Yeah, I mean, they raised like the biggest round of funding I've ever seen for an early stage company. But yeah, yeah I, think, I think they're doing what they're doing is interesting because I know they're trying to enter the enterprise now. And so I'm excited to kind of keep walking them as well. The idea of running simulations as a business just is so cool. I'm, I'm sorry, it's just like, is such a cool company. Yes, I think it can have really interesting implications. You know, as a younger founder, what is the best piece of advice that you've received? Well, I think one thing that, uh, and you hear this piece of advice um, both succinctly, and you also hear it when people sort of talk about their stories, but nobody really knows what they're doing uh, <laughs> in, the, in the tech ecosystem or when they're starting startups. And everybody sort of has that like, that level of uncertainty or is like scared about like what's what's happening and don't, doesn't really know what's going coming next. Um, and I think that's something that that really helps because when you sort of when you see startups and you see tech companies that are doing really well, it always looks like they have everything put together and they've everything figured out. But internally, it's like there's probably a million things on fire. And then even the, the cooler thing is like in the early days, like they definitely didn't know what they were doing. So I remember, like, during YC, uh, there there were the Tuesday dinners that were um, where they would bring in like some really great tech founders, some really great uh, CEO to come and talk about their early experiences. And what really stuck with me in each of those uh, Tuesday dinners is that like nobody really had it figured out in the beginning. Most people actually like pivoted from their initial idea because the initial idea they realized was just horrible, uh, and that that really like it helps you. Feel um, feel good if like nothing you're doing is working and and you sort of realize that you need to figure things out. I agree. I also think that it was funny. I felt that way when I was trying to think about pricing a lot of the times because you're always looking at comparable yeah. companies and what pricing, how much do you charge for something? Um, and so for me, that was one area where I was like, does anyone have any idea what they're doing? Yeah, yeah. That no, definitely. I mean, we're um, that's <laughs> exactly those like. We had a recent meeting about pricing and then the discussion was just like, yeah, they're like rough philosophies, but you sort of just have to figure out it, figure out what you want to do on your own. It's um, yeah. it's more of an art than a science. Yes. I think at some point you just throw up some pricing and tweak it along the way and then hope that you have customers like you, you know, you do rollback policies or things like that, but you, it's a continual learning process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's another like really big, a huge piece of, of almost anything is just like you have to be willing to just throw something out there, get feedback and just keep iterating. Yes. Okay. And finally, if you could interview one founder, who would you most want to interview and why? That is a good question. I would really want to meet or meet and interview Brian Chesky from Uber or sorry, Brian Chesky from Airbnb. I was uh, like, whoa, from Uber. Yeah. Okay. Why? That's like, a good one. Uh, flip there, but uh, I, a lot of it is because um, I read this book called Upstarts, which is about uh, Airbnb and Uber, sort of in the early days all the way up until like just a couple years ago in their history. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a known story in all Silicon Valley that like Airbnb is just like this 
darling sweetheart story. But I really want to like talk to him and figure out sort of what he was thinking every step of the way uh, with like full honesty, since I think it's just, it's really crazy. Yeah, especially we hear about them a lot in business school as well, that when they pivoted and and the hacks they put together on like cereal to really, you know, make and meet at one point. And I thought it was just an interesting story because it's a product that I use literally every single time I travel. And so it's it's funny to hear like to imagine Airbnb doing all these things and then, you know, making it a full bed and breakfast at first, then deciding that you don't have to actually do all of that. And then kind of just keeping scaling it back every time and realizing it was getting better and better. Yeah. And I almost, I, I mean, I sort of feel like it's a cop-out answer because I think everybody would want to talk to Brian Chesky, but I think it's just, uh, but the amount of determination that, that is like evident in the early days of, of Airbnb is just so admirable. Yeah, I agree. I also am a big fan of designer-led companies, so uh, I think that would be an interesting one to watch, to listen to. I mean, yeah, my co-founder right. designer. <laughs> oh, really? Awesome! I love yeah. that. I, I I work for a designer-led company, and I just feel like I, I you know I think it really permeates the product, and it was a uh, the main reason why everyone loved our product. It was like it's so beautiful, the UI is great, everything's fluid, and not just the UI. It's just the user experience was so. And like, it was just so obvious and, and easy to use that I think everyone appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, thank you so much, Alex, for being on my show today. It was great to have you. Awesome, yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, this is really cool. And that's a wrap on this week's episode of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter to stay up to date. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for episode 35.